part one chapter five of if all these young men by romer wilson this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part one berkshire chapter five the monument josephine hesitated to enter the house even when it was restored to its ordinary size she felt as if she were a ghost standing at the elbows of the living or fortunatus in his cap taking a glimpse at those to whom he was about to pay a surprise visit she knew she was not expected to arrive just now because there was no train a vision of what was going on indoors flashed past her as if the cap were master over matter and for an instant she saw the sharp family as they were at the same time there came and went a faint phantom-like presentation of their psychological emblem for as some people suggest the sign of a cow of a ship at sea or a ditch with sky at the bottom or running parallel lines or a spinning or a booming so the sharp suggested to the mind of josephine a monument it was not difficult to trace the origin of their monumental aspect for in their family unity they roused all her iconoclastic passions their stony puritanism their granite immunity from the weatherings of existence formed a base for a calvinistic erection beautified after the manner of the renaissance with a chaste representation of art a mild muse of music cultured literary appreciation and fine social feeling and the whole was hung about with festoons and garlands of gilded and coloured delight in intellectual humanity and beautiful aspects of nature the monument however was not conceived in the manner which lends vitality to stone and was made chiefly of material quarried in the victorian age upon the top was a gilded urn or crest made of that centre of the worldishness and self-appreciation common in large families which the sharps assumed ought to attract and dominate all those who came within its influence josephine did not fail to realize the beauty of the monument and of this curious specimen of psychological heraldry but as she was about to step into the house she thought my god my god and wished she had a catapult she did not ring or knock but ran straight into the hall because she could not resist pretending to herself that she had appeared from nowhere directly inside the narrow green front door sheltered from the draught by large victorian screens covered with paper pictures sat various of the sharps at dinner everybody except horatia sharp who was standing beside the mantelpiece cried out hello josephine but horatia said hello how do you do josephine out of the higher tones came the sonorous hello josephine of mr hunt who seated beside everett sharp was finishing his wine and for a minute josephine felt at one with him in a crowd of strangers and he also was aware of it she sat down opposite to him at the table and was conscious that he was staring at her but she took no notice of him and drank off two glasses of wine one after another in order to cover her confusion eh hey, it's a long way from reading she said turning to charlotte who in her brownness reminded her of those nuns who keep schools at the seaside she thought as she said i walked fearfully fast that somewhere in the house lay the white headcloth and pins and the dark habiliments and crucifix of this ex-sister superior who smoked cigarettes as if she had substituted the practice for that of prayer aren't you terribly tired cried susan her best friend to whom she had not yet spoken her delight at seeing susan again was very great although they had only been apart two days 
but she could not express it in the midst of the people around her nor could she ever be natural under the shadow of that family suddenly to her amazement she heard everett sharp laugh her queer cuckoo laughter and begin to gibe sebastian upon having a table napkin which she said josephine had used once before but you won't mind that she cried and with her usual slate of hand cut down to the quick of the delicate situation between josephine and sebastian in such a manner that they could neither of them protest the table napkin was probably a clean one but everett's purpose was served she had transfixed any hidden sentimentality there might be between them and had brought it up on her trident to show to the company she sat at the table now in the charming white and buff hall with its ugly draughty green staircase working her eyebrows up and down as she jibed and talked she did not hold her peace a single minute and there ascended and descended through the rattle of the gay machine-gun of her voice scales of liquid laughter now clear now gurgling now suggestive now frankly indecent flowing like a stream over the bedrock of her nature which was of a puritanical rigidity she was a little heavy and long-chinned but her heaviness was wearing away as she got older and the typical nunamite and reforming spirit was giving way to the woman of experience and thought josephine to the charm of a pocahontas josephine looked at her now with that dull gaze which everett hated and thought she has the whole spectrum of emotions but the ultraviolet and the infrared and she is alive with goblins of introspection but even she had seen that inner everett which the outer everett was all too ready to eclipse everett did not like her and frequently was rude to her for she was aware that josephine resented the family's sense of importance she was always on the offensive in its defence and in her own defence and when her powers of assuming superiority gave out she walked about like a cat on glass presently charlotte who sat at the head of the table obtained a dish of salmon for josephine and as she caused it to be placed before her said dear josephine do help yourself i am sure you must be very hungry after your long walk i hope you have got everything you want and it seemed to josephine the pleasantest thing in the world to be spoken to like that charlotte talked on in smooth picked phrases that might have been cut out of a literary work but all the time her eyes were far away and she was cogitating melancholy thoughts her conclusions arrived at during forty years of thinking appeared all to be unutterably melancholy and her opinions which were among the most advanced of her time were held with the tenacity of a stoic and a conviction that was religious the crown of her melancholy was the war which she considered the profanation of humanity and in and out of it was woven green ribbon of intellectual intolerance her world was peopled with potential intellectuals whom society called the lower orders and though she endowed with poverty with inability of self-assertion and every potential virtue yet as she talked to josephine she hid her gloom under kindliness and gentle consideration the individual lives of these three sisters everett susan and charlotte ran upon their lines of talk each so quick and individual that the spectator wished to turn all ways at once and have three pairs of ears and yet nothing more profound was said than in many a household at the mantelpiece still stood horatia watching them in pride her darling charlotte who was more to her than all the others brilliant everett laughing away beside the patient tired sebastian and charming darling susan who was walking about the room gesticulating with her idol-like hands 
susan's hair was cut straight at the sides and twisted up at the back in the spanish fashion to-night in her skimpy black dress embroidered with red wool she looked like a doll not a parisian beauty with large liquid eyes and rosy cheeks of china but a thin modern intellectual doll with black hair and red blotched cheeks semi-totem and semi-puppet as horatia watched her sisters and the two strangers who sat among them she sometimes threw out a remark or lowering her work looked over the top of her horn spectacles and laughed aloud ha ha her hair was quite grey but her pink cheeks and black eyebrows made her look very young in josephine's eyes she had the quality of an athena which caused strangers to attribute to her as they attributed to athena mental qualities she did not possess there she stood tall and stately cool grey dignified and young her charm was greatest when she came in from the orchard fresh from pruning trees or from the field after she had been hedging for then her dignity was greatest and her youth renewed by the height of the trees and the strength of the wind most blatant there they were four of those six sisters who were more to each other than husband and wife and in the middle of them like blacks in a country of white princesses sat josephine thinking of sebastian and sebastian staring at josephine with unnatural openness she had not quite the temerity to challenge him lloyd george has saved himself by the paris speech she said in her unintelligent voice as she finished her supper didn't you notice how he got behind things last autumn when we nearly had a revolution when lloyd george gets behind he's done for he has no intuition but he is a genius at telling the way the wind blows from straws he nearly lost his grip didn't he did he said susan in a freezing voice for she hated politics and josephine had not the sense to keep her mouth shut but went on bringing out opinions which interested none of her hostesses three glasses of burgundy had made her talkative but she had not a conversational tongue it's funny she continued to watch us quite unconsciously saving ireland out of the war i expect we shall all find ireland the nation of the future if it has any guts and stops being insular they were all on the side of ireland there and on the side of everything which was not england of the hour so that her remarks fell flatter than usual and charlotte began to discuss some minute household matter in the language of the encyclopedia if only thought josephine they would all drop through the floor sebastian and i could have a happy evening but they take everything out of us guests so we haven't anything left over for each other and never in this world will sebastian and i meet except across a hedge of sharps she began to feel angry because at this point she felt more strongly opposed to them than usual they did not understand her part in the war moreover they were bored with her talk and susan was cross because she had not given her a kiss when she came in she and susan loved one another but she always lost susan for herself directly she rejoined her family and when susan filled her place again in that unity took for granted the latent intellectualism of charlotte's poor spoke with everett's attitude of no-nonsense and no prudery and derided shakespeare politics god science and england she made josephine angry when her bad feelings had subsided josephine remarked i saw amaryllis yesterday was james with her said susan suddenly and stopped walking about no he was not how is amaryllis said horatia i didn't ask her replied josephine but she looked quite well she said james was going down to the sea for easter with her asked susan and the whole room hung on her suspense 
i expect so her family are at the house so i expect they are having a house-party who is james said sebastian boldly james blanchard snapped everett have you seen him recently said charlotte to susan and the whole family pretended that it was not a painful subject i go out with him about once a week she replied she had regained herself but josephine had seen her gasp and knew she had been a fool to mention amaryllis of whom susan was jealous though amaryllis apparently saw no more of james blanchard than susan did all this time sebastian had held his peace save for his question which he rapped out with great physical effort and had watched josephine eat her dinner a sensation of pleasure passed through his heart at the new stirrings of life there but everett's influence was so strong upon him that he turned instinctively toward her several times and offered her a dumb apology for giving away the fact that he was a little glad to see josephine a little bewitched by her and a little bewildered he always returned to stare at josephine in order to enjoy the gentle stirrings under the dead leaves of his passions and the timid shaking of the shackles which he did not admit bound him down to everett presently everett looked at the clock and began to hustle sebastian out of the house to catch the last train for east newton impressing upon him by subtle methods to whom he belonged but for all that his good-night you people in there which he cried out as she bustled him into the porch to help into his coat was unmistakably addressed to josephine and as he was hurried along through the little spring garden to the back gate in at which she had so lately come his thoughts were only hers also End of part one, chapter five, recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.